Children may be dismissed to junior church as I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. We'll go to verses 12 and 13 of Philippians 2 here in a moment. We walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? Amen. There's a song which I'm sure that most of you have heard of. I'll just start with the words and see if it's familiar to you. I will not sing the words to you, though. (laughs) And now the end is here. And so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll make it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And more, much more I did it. I did it my way. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do. I saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway. And more, much, much more. I did it. I did it my way. Yes, there were times. This is where you're supposed to sing it out, but I won't. I'm sure you knew when I bit off more than I could chew, but through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all, and I stood tall and did it all my way. (laughs) I first heard that song with Elvis singing it. Amen. Especially with the Hello from Hawaii special, I think it was. And then later heard it was actually Frank Sinatra. And then I later learned that actually it is the song for parents of toddlers. <laughs> as they learn very quickly to say mine, right? But it, and give me, right? And it also is the case for all of us with all of our life, right? It is in a way a proverb or a testimony of our state of mind without Christ. And oftentimes, too oftentimes, something we're fighting against, even our state of mind in Christ, that we surrender to Christ and we surrender our way. is Galatians 2.20, that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself as a ransom for me. So it's no longer I live, it's no longer we who live, it's Christ who lives within us. So it is no longer my way, it is his way. And Jesus calls us to a different pattern, a different way, a different lifestyle. None of us are there. It takes time. I was listening to a good sermon a few days ago by another friend's pastor. I had met with him and we talked about some things and found out uh, he's... uh, his podcast where his sermons are posted and I went and listened and he shared an illustration and then a video about a guy who works with wood, but he does it all by hand tools. And I, I'm not talking about Leroy, Leroy Jethro Gibbs and NCIS. That's a different story. He makes boats by hand tools. It's just part of the show. No, this is a real guy. He crafts and makes things totally with hand tools. And of course, everything is a slower process, right? And the same thing with Christianity. We have a, a process 
And oftentimes it's not as fast as we want, but it's a process of spiritual growth. It's a process of spiritual development. It's a process of of the Holy Spirit working in our life to help us to be more like him. Dr. Bill Brown was the president of Cedarville University. He was the president of the university when I was there. And a while back, actually quite a while back, I heard him tell a story about when he was working on his PhD. He was doing his PhD work and he was at Dallas Seminary. His wife had, a, had, had the main job. She had the main income because he was working on his PhD. He couldn't work a full-time job. And his wife had a certain job. I think she was accountant or something like that. And his wife's boss told her to do certain things, to change the numbers around, alter the numbers so they would be deceitful and the company would get more money. They would basically report more, in, more, more numbers. I think it dealt with student aid or something like that. And report more uh, of something than they actually got. And then they would get more money. She said, I can't do that. He said, you have to. She sat down at her desk and thought about it and prayed and went back and said, I can't do this. And he said, you have to. She goes back and calls her husband And he says, we got to obey God and not man. And God would tell us to have integrity and tell the truth and report the facts. And we got to obey God and not man. And she goes back and she tells the boss, look, I can't do this. I have to obey God. I have a higher, I have a higher authority. I have to obey God. And the boss said, when you're here, I'm your God. And that just about settled it. And so she refused to do it and she was fired. Maybe some of you had had, have had similar experiences. I knew a guy who had to make a stand for truth and lost his job that way. Well, she was fired, and then she went home to her husband, and they prayed together. And then he was working as part of his Ph.D. work, I think like a side job. He was editing Greek manuscripts, and he had to return them to the professor who they were due to. Not editing for, for a paper uh, necessarily, but editing for research of what became the New King James Version translation. And so he went to return them to the professor, and the professor said, I see your wife is with you. Is she sick today so she can be at work? And they explained the situation, and he said, well, I'm about to hire an assistant. I was going to post a job. Would you like the job? And so she got the job right then and there, ended up with a job typing what became the New King James Version Bible. But it was something where they had to stand for truth. They had to stand for God's way, not man's way. And I see two themes that are important to today's passage. One is the continual theme of Christians being different from the world. We are called to be, we are called to be incarnational. Incarnational. We represent Jesus everywhere we go. Every place we go, we represent Jesus. Christians must be light Dr. Brown's wife may not have made the boss happy. However, she had to be light in a dark world. The world may see, say, do what you have to to get more money. That's what her boss wanted her to do, altering the numbers. But Christ calls us to integrity. The world must see Christians with integrity. And when they do, they will see us as a light in a dark world. That is because we must be trustworthy. The second theme, that's one theme. The second theme from that story is reverence for God. The boss said, when you're here, I'm your God. The passage we will look at will talk about reverence for God. Actually, the passage we will look at, not just today, but for the next couple weeks, reflect a reverence for God that 
is, is responded to in obedience to God. My theme today, you can do this. God is working in you. Work out your salvation because God is working in you. And we're going to look at Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So you can do this. And why can you do it? Because God is working in you. You can have integrity even when your job is on the line. You can go through things like that because God is working in you. God is working in you. And we let that work that God is doing flow out of us. We let it flow out of us. And if you're looking at, there's a fill in the blank in your bulletin and the first Blank is right there. Work out your salvation. Salvation, because God is working in you. So first, Paul exhorts us to work out our salvation. And this passage is misunderstood uh, too often, and we'll clear that up in a little bit. But look at Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul calls them brethren. Isn't that nice? Or we could say brothers and sisters. He's using family language. And that's important. He's addressing Christians right here. He's not addressing non-Christians. He's addressing Christians. And these Christians are brothers and sisters in Christ. They are family. They're family. They're part of the family of God. We also, if we're in Christ, we are family. We are part of the family of God right here. They have always obeyed. He says that. He says, just as you have always obeyed, they've always obeyed. And he's reminding them of their obedience to, to, to God, to God, their obedience to Christ. He's saying that he is absent, but still exhorting them to keep obeying. He's absent, but he's still exhorting them to keep obeying him. Then he says, work out your own salvation. How can we work out salvation? Does this mean that we are earning our salvation? Absolutely not. The very next verse, verse 13, makes it clear. God is working in us, and we allow that to work out of us. God is working in us, and we allow that to work out of us. Uh, John MacArthur shares that Strabo was an ancient Roman scholar who lived about 60 years before Christ. He recorded an account concerning some Roman-owned mines in Spain, and he uses the very same verb that Paul uses in Philippians 2.12, the same, very same verb that Paul uses for work out. It's katergazomoi. I might have mispronounced that. Uh, when, and he uses that same verb about working out of the mines. So there's already treasure in the mines. And the miners were to work out the, that treasure, right? To mine it, to bring it out. And that's what we're to do. We have God working inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit working inside of us. There's treasure inside of us by what Jesus is doing within us. And we work that out. We are to mine out of our lives what God has richly deposited there in salvation. God has richly deposited there, deposited it there in our salvation. I am to produce such precious nuggets of godly character from what he planted when he saved me. God had planted this godly character in us. God is planting godly character in us, and we work it out. We mine it out. We let it flow out of us. And there are two more blanks for the bulletin right there, too. So just because we have something 
doesn't mean we don't work to make it better. We have lots of things, right, that we work to make it better. We could buy an old car, and we still need to keep it up. More so, we can buy an old car and fix it up. I was running down a road the other day, and I saw something that looked like a really old car, like a Model T type car. You get an old car, you have to work to fix it up. You have to work to keep it up. However, in this case, God has bought the car, and it's us, right? It's us, and, and God is making us new again spiritually. He has rebirthed us. We are born again, but we have to do our part as well. We must allow him to work in us. This is not about losing salvation, but about completing salvation. This is not about losing salvation, but making it look like we are saved, showing that we belong to Jesus. Just as with an old car, we want it to look new. We want it to look as if we own it, that old car. We also want our lives to reflect that Jesus is in our life. God is the owner of our lives. As a child, my dad always would tell me, he repeated this refrain a lot, how your work represents you. Your work represents you. I'd be working in the workshop next to my dad. And he would say, what you do represents you who you are. In the same way as a Christian, what we do represents Christ. Christ owns us and Christ bought us with his life. It is important that we work out how we represent him. This is about spiritual growth. This is about sanctification. Look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Who's working in us? God is working in us. This is about what's called sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. sanctification. Thank you. It's not a word we use that often, is it? I mean, how many of you got up and looked at a family member, whether a, a, a spouse or child or grandchild, and this morning said, hey, how is your sanctification going today? I mean, any of you do that recently? I, I bet anybody, ha- nobody has. I first learned the word in college, but even learned it more because I was doing a youth trip called Planet Wisdom, which is about Christian worldview and wisdom from God. And they made a little promo video that was more funny than, than real. And it was about a guy wrongfully sharing the gospel to somebody and saying, you better get sanctified or chicken fried, you know. But to be sanctified means to be set apart for a purpose. To be sanctified means to be set apart for a purpose. When we commit our life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, when we become a Christian, God sets us apart for his purpose. That is being sanctified. It goes along with God declaring us righteous. However, that, that's in one sense. There's two senses of, sanctifi- of sanctification in the New Testament. One sense is God, is God has set us apart for a purpose. The other sense is progressive. Progressive. God is sanctifying us. God is continually setting us apart for his purposes. That's what this is about. God is continually working in us to will and to act according to his good pleasure. God is continually making us more like him. Now, if I made chocolate brownies, which I love, but I would not do right now because I'm counting every calorie and I don't want to have to enter them on my MyFitnessPal app. It's keeping me under check. And, uh, but if I made chocolate brownies, I might put white icing on them. 
Guys, people call me weird, but brownies are really good with vanilla icing, vanilla frosting. And it's one of the things that I know how to bake and bake somewhat well. And if I made them and we got down to maybe two or three brownies left and I was leaving to be gone for the day. And I know if I left, those brownies would be eaten by the time I got home, right? And so I might tell, ask Megan, hey, would you take one of those chocolate brownies with vanilla icing, would you take one of them and set it aside for me for later? That would be sanctifying in a non-biblical sense, sanctifying that brownie. It'd be setting apart that brownie for a purpose. It is set aside, it is set apart for me to consume later. So in a comical sense, that's sanctifying. But God is setting us apart, setting us apart for his purposes. He's making us more like him. That is what's going on here. As Christians, God is continually, that's another blank if you're following them, God is continually setting our lives apart for him. He is making us different for a purpose. The brownie might be in a different location for a purpose. A Christian will be set apart in that they live a different life for a purpose. We are called to live a different life. We're called to own up to things and repent when we sin against people. Repent to God and repent to the other people. We are called to respond to people with gentleness and love and not anger and frustration. Just because the politicians get all personal in their attacks doesn't mean that's the way a Christian is need to do it. It's not how we're to respond. We are called to live a different way. And when we live a different way, it is disarming and it is a witness. We have integrity and we tell the truth. Even when everybody else around us says, do what you got to do to get to ahead and we live different, it's a witness. But more than a witness, we have to do that because that's what God calls us to do. God is working in us. It says it is God who works in you. Think back to Matthew 16, 16 through 17. There's an amazing passage where Jesus asks the disciples who they think he is. Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus says, get this, Jesus says, blessed are you. You did not get this from yourself, but from God. It is God who is working in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. And we do righteous things and good things. It's not because of us. It's because of the Holy Spirit within us. That's why we can never boast. We can never brag. We didn't earn our salvation. We're not earning our salvation. We can't earn our salvation. Philippians 2.13 shows God works in us in two ways. He guides our will, which is our desire. He guides our will, which is our desire. When we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, we get new desires. I don't know about you, this works different for every single person, but my youth pastor would always give a testimony that he would work at a factory before. He worked at A.O. Smith. If you ever see A.O. Smith water heaters there in Tip City, Ohio, he worked there. And he got saved. This was around 1970 or 68, around then. And when he got saved, uh, he got paid more based off of how many things he produced, how much came down the line. So if other people were sitting it down slowly. He would get mad and he would throw them down and yell, curse words and things like that. That was before he was saved. And then one day, his, uh, his, his children were invited to a children's ministry. So eventually they went to check out what type of ministry their kids were going to. And they gave an altar call, a Sunday night service, and his wife came down first. 
And his wife was at the altar to give her life to Christ. And after that, the, he thought, well, if my wife's down, I got to go down. So he came down to the altar too. And the pastor came and talked to him and said, and he said, I'm here because my wife's here. But they were both there because the Holy Spirit had drawn them and they committed their lives to Christ right then and there. And he says the next day at the factory, those cuss words didn't come to him anymore. That anger and that frustration didn't come to him anymore. They were gone. The Holy Spirit gave him different desires. Now, it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes some of us have to work on anger or our language or that type of self-control all of our life. But one thing is for sure, we cannot give up. We've got to keep fighting the fight to have different desires and saying, Holy Spirit, please take these things away. Holy Spirit, help me so that I'm not cursing at people and yelling and I have a more gentle disposition. But when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, we have different desires. Secondly, he guides our actions. He guides how we operate. He guides our actions. He guides how we operate. So the desire, which is internal, changes, and then the action changes. And this is according to his good purposes. So if you look at verses 12 and 13, there's a nice contrast. Verse 12 says, work out, mine it out, mine it out. And verse 13 says, work in, or really works in. This sanctification process, this holiness process, really is a holiness process. It is God making us more holy. The Old Testament would say repeatedly, be holy because God is holy. So this holiness process is two parts. We work and God works. Both must happen. God is great that he is sovereign while we participate in work. We are not robots. I could pick up my phone And I could record a message in there. And it could say something like, Steve, you're wonderful. I know you're not that tall, but you're the most attractive man there is. Uh, You're the best in all these things. And when I play it back, it's just playing what I told it to play. It's not a free will. It's not... Now, artificial intelligence may eventually allow my phone to respond freely and tell me great things about me. I don't know. Hopefully it doesn't get there. But it's not free will. God gave us free will. And he is so awesome and sovereign that that his will interacts with our will. And that's what's going on here. He's working in us and it is to flow out of us. You know how sometimes there are these things in the Bible that just may confuse us until about 2010, this was a somewhat difficult passage for me. Pastor of Worship once said that there are some passages in the Bible where he gets up in the morning and gets his coffee and opens the Bible and he starts reading certain passages and he gets to a passage that trips him up and he just thinks, well, that's really hard to understand. I'm glad I'm not the preaching pastor, the senior pastor. I'll leave that difficult passage to them. Then the senior pastor gets up and gets his coffee out and opens the Bible and starts reading the passage and comes to a passage that just stumps him and it's a difficult passage and he thinks, wow, that's difficult. I'm glad I'm not the seminary professor. I'll leave that to them. And of course, the seminary professor of New Testament gets up, gets his coffee. Well, it can keep going on and on, right? And eventually there are some passages that we have to explain to the best of our understanding and say, I don't understand this. We always, one thing, by the way, is we need to always interpret the, the unclear in light of the clear. 
That means interpret unclear passages by cross-referencing them with clear passages. And this passage does not need to be that difficult. We can look at Ephesians 2.8, which says we are saved by grace. That means this cannot be about earning our salvation. It is clear. Work out does not mean earn our salvation. It also, because verse 13, context is king also. Verse 13 makes it clear. It is God who is working in us. And we are allowing God to work out of us. God has deposited these awesome minds and treasure, minds of this treasure within us, and we are letting it flow out of us. There's no contradiction. Salvation is not simply saying a prayer and believing in Christ. That is future salvation. That is eternal salvation. But now that you have been saved, you need to show that, to show that with your life. You need to let God work in you. Let God work in you. You need to allow God to work out of you what he's deposited in you so you become more like Christ. That's what this is about. It's about spiritual growth. I get frustrated when people think you just say the right prayer and the right words like it's some type of formula and you're saved. Now, that's not meaning to be against a sinner's prayer. Even though the formula we use for the sinner's prayer is only about 150 years old. It's not, you don't really find it necessarily in the Bible. Salvation is about a continual process of living for Jesus. It starts with that prayer, committing your life to Jesus. Yes, there is a time when that rebirth happens. And it can be expressed in what you might find as a sinner's prayer in a tract or something like that. Or, or a Billy Graham crusade, if you remember those. But it continues it continues all of our life. Every single day we get up in the morning, we say, oh Lord, help me to live for you today. Help me to serve you today. Help me not to fall away today. Help me not to backslide today. And you go to bed at night and you say, Lord Jesus, I pray that I wake up as a Christian tomorrow. A Christian tomorrow. Give me the grace needed, the power of the Holy Spirit needed to keep living for you. We need that every single day. And we get up and we say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me anything I need to repent of, anything I need to confess, reveal it. And then we do likewise. Holy Spirit, reveal to me how I need to serve you today, how I can serve you today. You notice how this passage also says with fear and trembling. Look at it. For it's God who works in you. Well, no, first, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as, as you've always obeyed, so now not only is it my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Trembling carries the idea of extreme loyalty. And fear means intense reverence for God. We are... We are, we are living for Christ with extreme reverence for God. Extreme reverence for God. Extreme loyalty to God. It's the Lord Jesus we serve. And we serve him with extreme loyalty. Work to be made more devoted to God with reverence and loyalty. Why? Because it is God that is trying to do this in you. Let him work in you. I heard an illustration, and this just goes to show how much it takes time. We're in an instant society, right? Instant society. We want everything instantaneously. We want our stuff delivered from Amazon within a day. We want, or maybe even faster. We get frustrated. We get upset when it doesn't work that way. We want to be able to put something in the microwave, and, and you know, it's out in two minutes. It's ready. You can even cook a Thanksgiving turkey in a microwave. You can make, you know, we want everything instantaneously. But there is no instant godliness, 
Growing in Christ takes a heart devoted to him, and it takes a continual a life of living for Jesus. There's no instant godliness. So I heard an illustration a few days ago, and it was based on a video somebody saw about how to get, how to make a homemade chicken sandwich. Now, I know what most of you are thinking. You go to the store, you buy the chicken, you make the chicken, you get the bread, you toast the bread if you want it, put some mayonnaise on it. By the way, I've learned recently there's a lot of calories in mayonnaise, though. But um, you put that on, you got your homemade chicken sandwich. That's not a homemade, totally homemade chicken sandwich. No, you have to buy the chicken and give the chicken time to grow while you feed the chicken and water the chicken and clean up after the chicken. And then you have to slaughter the chicken and pluck the chicken or skin it or whatever you do. I've never done this. So some of you I know have, and you could teach me on it. Then you have to slaughter the chicken and cook the chicken and all that stuff. That's just for the chicken part. That's just the chicken part. But what if you want salt? You have to go to the ocean or somewhere or a salt mine. These salt mines under the Great Lakes, by the way, maybe you could get in there. I would not really want to go under the Great Lakes if it was me, because it seems kind of not smart. But you know, you have to go and get your salt if you want salt on the chicken sandwich. You have to buy the wheat and grow the wheat and separate the wheat from the chaff and do all that stuff to make the bread. It's a reminder that oftentimes the things that we take for granted are, is quite a process to get them. Somebody called it a $1,500 chicken sandwich, and I think it might be well more than that. And it's the same thing with our spiritual life. God is working in us, but it takes time. That doesn't mean get frustrated and forget it. No, it means keep walking the Christian life. You know, the Christian life in the New Testament is often talked about as a walk, not a run. Sometimes we see the word run like 1 Corinthians 9, but usually it's a walk because walking is somewhat natural. It's a walk. Are we allowing God to work in us? Do we have loyalty to God? Are we reverent? Before God, we must understand that we must be humble and recognize it is God that works in us. It's God that keeps us out of some things and gives us spiritual growth. It was God, it was God, and it is God and always will be God. We must hold fast to the gospel and the scriptures. We must work out our salvation with reverence, fear, and trembling. This is a serious matter. Christianity and Christian growth is serious. We must take it seriously. I once saw a video where John Piper was in an interview, and, and he got real frustrated if pastors just say, oh, I'm having a blast. He said, no, the pastoral ministry and Christianity, for that matter, is a serious matter. It is serious. It's nothing to be mocked or joked about. It's serious. And our spiritual growth is serious. And not growing spiritually is serious as well. Being flippant about our spiritual life or about sin is very, very serious as well. So we must hold fast to the gospel. God is working in us according to his pleasure. It's always about him. It's always about Jesus. Our spiritual growth is always about his will. It's not about our will, but his will. It's not my way. It's his way and his way only. We must be seeking his will in our spiritual growth. And this follows the Christ hymn, right? Philippians 2, 6 through 11. This follows the Christ hymn. In context, this is the Christ hymn. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Is he the Lord of our life? Our spiritual growth is always about his pleasure. If we make it about us, if we make it about boasting, if we make it about being better than others, then we are in the same problem the Pharisees were stuck in. 
It must be about him. And lastly, we are never too old to grow in Christ. Chuck Smendahl shares this illustration in his book, Laugh Again, on page 92 and following. He writes, I came across an article way back in 1967, and I still return to it on occasion. This article is entitled, Advice to a Bored Young Man. It communicates how much one person can contribute, if only. The writer writes, many people reading this page are doing so with the aid of bifocals. Inventor Ben Franklin, age 79. The presses that printed this page were powered by electricity. One of the first harnessers, Ben Franklin, age 40. Some are reading this on the campus of one of the Ivy League universities. Founder, Ben Franklin, age 45. Some got their copy through the U.S. mail. His father, Ben Franklin, age 31. Now think fire. Who started the first fire department? Invented the lightning rod. Designed a heating stove still in use today. Ben Franklin, ages 31, 43, and 36. Wit, conversationalist, economist, philosopher, diplomat, printer, publisher, linguist. He spoke and wrote five languages. Advocate of paratroopers from balloons a century before the airplane was even invented. In all this, Ben Franklin did all this until age 84 years old. And he had exactly two years of formal schooling. Two years. It's a good bet that you already have more sheer knowledge than Franklin had when he was your age. This is Chuck Swindoll here. Perhaps you think there's no use trying to think of anything new, that everything's been done wrong The simple agrarian America of Franklin's day didn't begin to need the answers we need today. We must always reflect, we must always reflect Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. Let him work in you. Let it flow out of you. Let's close in prayer. Dearly Father, I thank you for this wonderful, amazing passage about how you are working in us and we need to allow you to work out of us. You are working in us if we need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we need to partner with the Holy Spirit so it flows out of us. Lord God, we can't do this on our own. If we had to do this on our own, it would be a burden greater than we could bear. And it wouldn't work. But we know, Lord God, that you are working in us. It's the Holy Spirit who leads and guides us. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would surrender to you today, surrender to you this week. Surrender to the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.